Morning Church. The Bible reading today is taken from Galatians 1, um, 1 to 10, which is on page 942 of the Pew Bibles. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, Some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of God. Thank you. I will please keep your Bibles open as we follow these few verses together. Well, friends, we live in a postmodern world where truth is relative. Everyone's opinion is as valid as another. There's no objective truth, no objective reality, no, nor is there scientific or historical truth. Objective truth has given way to subjective absolutes. What you believe is your truth, and your truth is true because you believe it, and so no one can question it. The result is that we engage in, when we engage in conversation, the discussion is no longer about what's the truth, but whether anyone is offended. But it wasn't always like this. It wasn't long ago when a baby uh, is born a boy or a girl and no one will question it. It wasn't long ago when marriage was between a man and a woman and no one questioned it. But as postmodernism has taken root in society and as has become the adopted philosophical arc in which we are taught to think and live, tolerance has become the supreme virtue in the public square. And so what was once fact is now fiction. What was once universally deemed immoral is now celebrated. Uh, let me give you an example. Now, you might know of Bruce Jenner, or, or should I say, Caitlyn Jenner. You see, Caitlyn wasn't always a woman, she was a man. Caitlyn Jenner was Bruce Jenner, who won the gold medal in the 1976 Olympics. And when that happened, he was celebrated as an instant hero. But his life hasn't all been, all been that great. He's divorced three times, and in an article by Vanity Fair, he, it's described, uh, he's described as someone who's neglected his four children from previous marriages and hasn't been a loving or present parent. But she's celebrated as a hero. Why? Because Bruce decided to transition and identify as a woman. And so on Twitter, uh, a woman uh, by the name of Stacy comments, You were America's hero in 76 when you won gold and Wheaties featured your photo. Forty years later, this pic makes you a new hero. So Glamour magazine declares her Woman of the Year a couple of years ago. Time magazine shortlisted her as number seven as a person of the year, and Vanity Fair magazine puts her 
on the front cover. And if anyone were to call Jenna by her male pronoun, they would be labelled transphobic. Why? Well, it's because it's intolerant. It's, in, it's judgmental. Her truth is her truth, and so therefore it must be our truth. And this intolerance, this judgmental attitude has no place in our society. But the irony is that when the world expects everyone to be tolerant and accepting of all people from all walks of life, the same principle doesn't seem to apply to tolerate Christians and what Christians believe. Christians are expected to fall into line and accept the meta-narrative of our society. So while our society celebrates Caitlyn Jenner, our society frowns upon Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is a retired American football quarterback and possibly one of the greatest footballers of all time. But Tebow is more than just a professional athlete. He's a Christian who's unashamed of the gospel. So one time he's on a plane, a man has a heart attack. Uh, the plane crew goes and attends to the man. And so Tebow sees the situation. He goes to the wife of the man who's in distress. He goes to her to comfort her and to pray with her. And a couple of people take photos of it, post it on uh, social media. And how do people respond? Prayed? Give me a break. Get out of the way and let modern medicine take, out of the, take care of the sick. Idiot. Now, why would people respond like that? Well, it's because he's a Christian. A Christian who's unashamed of his biblical values. A Christian who believes that the gospel saves and that God's at work in this world. So on the one hand, Jenna divorces three times, neglects her children, becomes a woman, and is celebrated as a role model for society and for our children. While Tebow builds hospitals in the Philippines for children, speaks up for the unborn children, prays publicly, gives credit to God for victories when he's interviewed on TV, comforts a woman whose husband is having a heart attack and is called an idiot. Now, to be fair, there are people, even unbelievers, non-Christians, who would who, who love Tebow and would never call Jenna a hero. But as you and I agree... Our society might value tolerance as the supreme virtue. It only applies when it suits them. John MacArthur uh, sums uh, this up well. Tolerant people can be broad thinkers, open-minded and charitable to every worldview. Every worldview that is except biblical Christianity. The authoritative demands of Jesus Christ are beyond the threshold of postmodern tolerance. Now, this makes it tricky for us Christians living in this postmodern era, doesn't it? Because we can't even engage in logical and rational conversations about, say, homosexual marriage without being called a bigot before we even finish our sentence. We can't even question generous heroism lest we be labelled transphobic. As a result, there's a temptation amongst Christians, even a danger for us Christians to give in. Maybe not completely straight away, but little by little, bit by bit, over time, God's moral standards and his authoritative word has given way to society's narrative where God is love and he loves indiscriminately whether you believe in Jesus or not. So to do away with hell, 
God is love and he accepts all. That is the new gospel that's being preached. So when I was a chaplain at Melbourne University, a fellow chaplain, a fellow colleague, said that he was planning to uh, 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 study and pursue a doctorate. So I asked him, what, what is his thesis? Well, what's your thesis? What are you going to pursue? What are you going to try to prove? And he essentially said this, to demonstrate that polygamy was a cultural norm endorsed by God in the Bible. And since homosexual practice is the cultural norm of our day, it is permitted by God. Now this is an example of Christian liberalism, where people, even ministers, even chaplains, even ordained people by the church, try and use the Bible to validate society's moral code and value system rather than believe and trust in God's divine word as inspired. Now as we begin our new series on Paul's letter to the Galatians, we're going to see that as Christians we cannot tolerate all things because God doesn't tolerate all things. We can respect differing opinions. We can try to understand our friends and our neighbours and our colleagues. We can love them and we must love. We make it must be gentle and kind and gracious in our speech, in our conduct. But we cannot give our unqualified, unconditional affirmation to every belief and every behaviour because God doesn't and we mustn't. And as we uh, saw in our series on the doctrine of the church, we must love what God loves and hate what God hates. And in today's passage, we see that the Apostle Paul has no tolerance whatsoever for any other gospel that is preached, apart from the one he preaches. And so my prayer this morning is that we will stand firm in love and gentleness, but intolerant of any other gospel, even if we're to be ridiculed and called an idiot, lest we come under the curse of God. For there's only one gospel, and Paul makes it plain this morning, in this passage, there is only one gospel that Paul preaches, and this gospel comes from Jesus, and is about Jesus. So first, the gospel comes from Jesus. Verse 1, <clears throat> Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now notice that Paul says that he's an apostle. Uh, 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 so the apostle, an apostle simply means messenger, the, the one who was sent. Uh, so there are many apostles in the New Testament because lots of disciples were sent as messengers such as Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, and Titus in 2 Corinthians 8. We, we, we often call these apostles missionaries because they were sent as messengers by the church. So Barnabas, was, uh, uh, as an example, was from a church, sent by the church to do God's work. But Paul's different. You see, Paul, along with the other 12 apostles, weren't sent from men or by men. They, were sent, they weren't sent from a church or by a church, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father. Their teaching and authority, therefore, comes directly from God, from Jesus, and not from the church. 
And that's because like Barnabas and Epaphroditus and Titus, you and I are not capital A apostles. Paul and the 12 apostles are in a different league. They have a direct line to Jesus and God, but we don't. We've never seen the Lord, risen Lord Jesus, and we've never been taught the gospel by Jesus directly. Epaphroditus and Barnabas, Titus, and us Christians in the 21st century all get the gospel from Paul and the other apostles, the other capital A apostles, who did see the risen Lord Jesus, who were taught the gospel directly by Jesus. In fact, Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 15, that to be a capital A apostle is one who has witnessed the risen Lord Jesus. And because you and I haven't, we are not apostles. That's why we read Paul's letters as God's word. Because what Paul says is from God, and therefore God's authoritative word to us. So you might have an opinion about God, and I might have something to say about God. A bishop might have something uh, to say about Jesus, and a, a book might have something to write about Jesus. A scholar might have a thesis about the gospel, and a so-called prophet might have something to preach about the gospel. But regardless of our education or standing in society, regardless of our office in the church or how many books we've sold, it doesn't matter what we say about God or Jesus or gospel. What matters is what the Bible says. What God has said through the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament, such as the apostle Paul. That's why Paul distinguishes himself from all the other Christians in Ephesus where he probably wrote this letter. He calls them here in verse 2, Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters who are with me. These brothers and sisters probably affirmed and agreed with what Paul was writing to the church in Galatia. But they're not apostles. He's an apostle, the brothers and sisters with me. They were with Paul, they agreed with him, and they saw that he is the one who has authority, who speaks the words of God, and therefore the letter comes as the word of God to the church in Galatia. Now, when then told that this letter is written to the churches in Galatia, verse 2, which probably covers the, uh, uh, the churches Paul planted in his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13 and 14, uh, which is basically modern-day Turkey. Uh, this included uh, Pisidian Antioch in chapter 13 and Iconium, Lystra and Derbe in Acts chapter 14. The year of this letter was written probably about 53-54 BC, so only around 20 years after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This is, in fact, the earliest letter we have of the Apostle Paul. Now, it was typical for the author of a letter in ancient times to begin with a greeting. So you'll start with my name to you, Galatia, and then he'll greet them. And we see this in verse 3, so Paul's no different. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. But unlike his other letters, he doesn't actually stop at this greeting. He expands on this greeting and he succinctly and helpfully tells them what the gospel is. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you want to know the essence of the gospel and what Christians believe, then this is a good verse to come back to. It doesn't tell us everything that the gospel can tell us. For example, it doesn't mention the resurrection, but that's already been mentioned in verse 1. Verse 4 here 
gives us the essence of the gospel because it tells us the good news. Jesus gives himself for our sins. Jesus rescues us from this present evil age. Jesus does this according to the will of God the Father. That is, the gospel in a nutshell is what Jesus has done for us, not what we have done for God. The gospel is all about Jesus and what he has done for us and not what we can do for God. Now, why would Paul go into all this detail about what the gospel is in his greeting? Why so succinctly? Why so clearly? Well, it's because we're told that they're turning to another gospel. You see, ordinarily, in all Paul's other letters, after his greeting, what he does then is he gives thanks to God for the church. So even with the church in Corinth, which was full of division and sexual immorality, after the greeting, he would give thanks to God for the church in Corinth. But in this letter, he doesn't do that. He doesn't thank God for them at all. Why is that? Well, it's because the stakes are even higher. The problems that the churches in Galatia are facing are more serious than church division or sexual immorality because the churches in Galatia were turning to a different gospel. So verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see, Paul planted these churches in Galatia. He poured out his life to them. He loved them and preached the gospel to them. He wanted to save them from the fiery flames of hell and the wrath of God that is to come. But as soon as he left, other people came and turned them to a different gospel, tried to convince them to believe that Paul was wrong and they're right which is no gospel at all in verse 7, Paul says. Now, a couple of years ago, um, uh, Laricia Hawkins, a tenured uh, associate professor of a flagship evangelical college in America, posted this on Facebook. She said this, I stand in re- religious solidarity with Muslims because they, like me, are Christian, are people of the book. And as Pope Francis stated last week, We worship the same God. Now, I wonder what you think of this statement. How would you respond to this statement? Now, you have to say her intentions are noble, aren't they? After all, she just wants to express religious solidarity with Muslims, just as Pope Francis has. I mean, that sounds tolerant. That's acceptable. Society would love hearing things like this. It's something to be celebrated. But the problem is that by saying something like that, she doesn't seem to be very tolerant of her own college or the Bible or God's view or the gospel. In fact, it contradicts the evangelical statement of faith of Wheaton College And it is a completely untrue statement in accordance with Scripture. For Muslims believe Jesus is a prophet, a me man, of which Muhammad is the greatest prophet, even greater than Jesus. And Roman Catholics don't believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so Muslims don't worship the same God as we do, for they don't worship Jesus as God. 
and Roman Catholics don't believe the same gospel because they believe that you need faith in Jesus, but you also need to be a good person. And if Paul was alive today, he wouldn't have a bar of it, and neither should we. Because 2,000 years ago, when the churches in Galatia entertained a different gospel to the one he preached, he writes a fervent letter to them to rebuke them, to call them back into line, to tell them in no uncertain terms not to entertain or tolerate, not to accept or believe a different gospel for it's no gospel at all. And do you know what the scariest thing about it is? The scariest thing about this different gospel isn't coming from a religion from a foreign land, isn't coming from a local street preacher, isn't coming from the marketplace, it's coming from within the church itself. So verse 7, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. As we'll see over the coming weeks as we unpack Galatians, there were people in the churches in Galatia professing to be Christians, saying, I'm a Christian. And these Christians were most likely Jews from Jerusalem who've come to the churches in Galatia, and they're saying, we're Christians from Jerusalem. But the gospel that Paul is preaching is not enough. You have to also hang on to the law of Moses. They wanted to believe the gospel, but they wanted they didn't want to let go of the law of Moses. That is, they, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too, as it were. But in doing so, they distorted the gospel. And this gospel wasn't a gospel of grace, but a gospel of works. So salvation is no longer a free gift. It was something that you had to earn. You see, friends, that's why it's so important for us to be crystal clear about what the gospel is. We can't assume the gospel. We need to know the gospel and believe the gospel. We need to remember the gospel and guard the gospel. Because the biggest threat to the church and the gospel we preach isn't from outside the church, but from within the church. Isn't from our visitors, but from our leaders and our members. In the 1990s, NASA launched the Mars Climate Orbiter. It was the first of its kind, the first interplanetary weather satellite. But on September 29, 1999, the 125 million spacecraft goes missing. Why did that happen? Because of one miscalculation. The NASA team used the metric system, but their own contractor, their own employee, the one in whom they appointed, Lockheed Martin, used the imperial system in their calculation. And because of this one error, the whole system was doomed to fail. The probe went too close to Mars, and the atmospheric pressure completely destroyed it. You see, the biggest threat to NASA's mistake wasn't external. They couldn't even blame Russia for this, but it was from within. People they hired, they contracted to do the work. The biggest threat to them was themselves. NASA's mission required absolute precision, zero tolerance for any mistakes. One miscalculation, and it cost them the entire mission. And in a similar way, we need precision. We need crystal clarity 
zero tolerance for distortions to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so even if a glorious angel from heaven or a charismatic preacher or a convincing scholar or a noble pastor or an international speaker or someone who claims to be a prophet from God preaches a gospel that's not what Paul preached, then Paul says, let them be cursed. Verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And if we didn't hear it the first time in verse 8, he repeats it, as we have already said. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul's so intolerant of all other gospels, of any other gospels, that he's willing to say that they'll be under God's curse. That's almost the worst thing you could ever say to someone, that you are under God's curse. And it's not just because it's such a terrible and horrible thing when someone distorts and changes the gospel, but to preach and therefore believe in another gospel is to remain under God's curse. For salvation is only through believing the true gospel, and when you believe in a false gospel, you will remain under the curse of God. For to turn away from the gospel Paul preaches is to turn away from God himself. And to turn away from God is to come under his curse. Our society celebrates Caitlyn Jenner, but is disgusted by Tim Tebow. Our society expects Christians to be tolerant and to fall into line. And what they mean by this is that we need to put aside God's moral compass and adopt theirs. We need to talk about love and stop talking about sin. We need to stop talking, uh, calling people to repent and embrace who they are. We need to preach a different gospel or stop preaching the gospel entirely. But friends, we can't. We mustn't. For if we wander from the gospel and leave it behind, we will be leaving behind the grace of God, and will come under the curse of God. For we cannot guard the gospel and please people, and if we please people, then we won't be guarding the gospel. Verse 10, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We all want to be people pleasers. We want people to like us. And so we don't want to come across as intolerant. We want to appear to be tolerant. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to be embraced. We don't want to be ostracized. But friends, we're not saved to please people, but to please God, who gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Friends, it's hard to guard the gospel and to be and be intolerant. It's hard to say to Haw- that, that Hawkins is wrong and that God will judge the living and the dead. But it would be far worse if we distort the gospel and come under the curse of God. So if our society pressures us to move God's moral compass, let's hold firm to the gospel once for all delivered lest we become liberal Christians and undermine the righteousness of God. 
if some prophet tries to convince you that you must do certain things or obey certain laws to be saved, let's hold firm to the gospel once for all delivered, lest we become legalistic Christians and undermine the grace of God. If some Facebook post tells you God loves you even if you don't repent of your sins, God loves you as you are and he'll accept you as you are, let's hold firm to the gospel once for all delivered, lest we cheapen grace and undermine the cross of Christ. For the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.